This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning. It's 9.51 a.m. December the 3rd, 2018, and this is episode 44 of Bitcoin And. And I woke up to sleep. I woke up to sleep. Yeah, it was uh, kind of kind of depressing to wake up to sleep after seeing the start of what's probably the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin winter is probably upon us. We've seen them before. We'll see them again. Uh, nobody likes them, but, you know, it, it happens. <clears throat> and there is several several things that we're going to go through talking about some of that, but also, you know, there's also good news. I mean, it's not always all bad. It's only all bad. If that's all you're, that's all you're looking for, then that's all you're going to get is bad news. But we shall begin with, uh, the bad news. There is a article out of Coindesk from Michael J. Casey with the headline crypto winter is here and we only have ourselves to blame. Well, not all of us, but he'll get into it. I have a friend who made a significant fortune out of Bitcoin. He is one of those enthusiasts who happily hands out the cryptocurrency to others in the interest of spreading adoption. All of that is good. However, one thing has always infuriated me. He boasts, especially last year, that he was spreading belief in Bitcoin because the small amount he distributed to random people over the years was now worth X times more in dollar terms. He loved it when they'd call when they'd call to thank him. Why on earth would I have an issue with this generosity of spirit? Because it perpetuated a narrative that speculative gains measured in fiat, fiat currency terms was, was Bitcoin's core value proposition for the world. Implicitly, the story my friend told the told to these people was not that as a model for censorship-resistant disintermediated money, Bitcoin has the potential to enable peer-to-peer exchange without rent-seeking financial institutions dictating the terms. Nor was it that we now have the makings of digital cash, a means of transferring value from anyone anywhere to anyone anywhere that doesn't require a bank account or the approval of some authority. The underlying message was not that Bitcoin is the first digital asset, a representation of value that can live on the internet without risk of replication or counterfeiting. Neither was it that we now have an ostensibly immutable consensus-based record-keeping system, the first in history that cannot be changed by someone in power. No, his story was quite simply that if you hang on to this thing, never mind understanding it, you too can get rich like me. My friend is not alone, of course. Last year, as an insane market bubble, not only in Bitcoin, but also in countless other crypto assets, fostered a collective mania around the world, the the to-the-moon language and win-lambo mindset permeated everything. 
It even found its way into the mainstream public. I'll never forget a relative who'd paid no attention to crypto beforehand asking me what coin she should buy. After warning her that she really shouldn't do this, I nonetheless started explaining why I had an intellectual non-investor interest in ASIC-resistant coins. She replied, I don't understand any of that. Just tell me what to buy. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm gonna stop right there because he's given a, a pretty good picture of what a lot of us uh you know, we're trying, a lot of us were trying to get, you know, guard against this, but, you know, <clears throat> we, we were trying to guard against that, you know, that kind of perception, but it's really hard when you're just seeing green candles all the time and prices are just skyrocketing. And it got, I mean, when I finally just start, started saying, yeah, this is going to suck. It was uh, last, no, not last November, but the no, uh, November of 2017, because it's just, it was just unsustainable. And yet it kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. Um, and the, this gentleman's right. It, it should have been about all these things that he was saying Bitcoin was. And, you know, an example, an example of mine was that, even, you know, a person very close to me bought uh, Bitcoin after I had been saying, look, you know, you should at least try. You should at least go get some and, and play, you know, play around with it just to, to learn the tech, just to understand what's what's on the on the horizon. And yet when I found out, you know, and, and, and I had, uh, told this person that I'd stopped buying at uh, my last buy was thirty nine, thirty nine hundred. I believe, and when the the second that I pulled the trigger on that buy, it immediately fell to three thousand, and then popped right back up like the next day or or later that day. I can't remember, <clears throat> but you know, since since then, um, you know, my last buy is actually slight is actually slightly underwater as we speak. Uh, I got a Bitcoin price at thirty eight twenty nine. It's down over six and a half percent today. Um, but when when this person came back and said, you know, that they had, had had bought Bitcoin, I asked when, and it was like months after the thirty nine hundred. So we're talking like a, a an entry point of somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand. Um, although they did follow my advice, and it's because I said, look, if you're gonna buy it, take the money that you're think about the money that you're gonna use to buy it, and think about putting it in a brown paper bag dousing it with diesel and lighting it on fire because all this can go away. And um, so at least there's that. There, there's the, the protection aspect on that particular situation is that this person did not do something stupid like go and mortgage their house or, or get a 18% credit card and buy a whole bunch of stuff on it. And those stories are, are rampant. I mean, or were rampant. I don't hear about it much anymore. I, 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 like I said, my heart goes out for all of those people that did that. Don't ever do that, whether it's gold or stocks or bonds. It's just, it's not, that's just not how you do this. It's, it's bad. So, uh, but what the other part of that story is, is that not only was there a Bitcoin buy because um, I sent this person to Coindesk or not Coindesk, Coinbase. Because uh, at the time it was pretty much the only, it was the easiest way. It was, it, it, it just was. There's no two ways about it. It was just the easiest way. Now we got Cash App. So, but uh, 
this person came away with ether as well. And so there was the injection of, of the uh, cost or the price bias issue where ether was, well, I can get into this for much cheaper. It's sort of like going and buying silver, you know, there's an attitude of buying silver over gold as being, ra- you know, rather stupid because all you're doing is seeing the price point and you can buy a lot more silver than gold. And I don't know if that's actually correct or not. You know, I mean, silver's has done, you know, decent as a precious metal. It's not totally horrible, but in either event, it, it should, it, the stories going forward should be getting back to, um, digital cash. It should be getting back to the fact that there's no risk of replication or counterfeiting. We should be talking more about immutability and consensus-based record-keeping systems. Um, at that, that or the consensus-based record-keeping system uh, that can't be changed by somebody in power. And this is the first time that we've ever had that in the history of histories. We've never had this before. Uh, somebody was always in charge of a ledger. So going forward, when talking to people, you know, about this, uh, try to stay away from the price because it's really not the most important thing in the world. So with that, let's move on up into the stack. Um, yeah. Okay. I follow Bitcoin Blockbot at BTC BLOCKBOT and uh, to get sort of like some, you know, uh, metrics of what's going on in the tweet about three hours ago was that. The 275th Bitcoin mining period has started with block 552,384. The new difficulty is down 15%. All right, so for for you know for those that are 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 new, the difficulty is how hard it is to mine a Bitcoin. Um, that well, actually, that's all it is. How hard is it to mine a Bitcoin? And the difficulty sort it sort of is a uh, pressure release valve what we saw with the run-up and even after the blow-off top is a massive massive gain of or of hash power and so the more hash power that's on the network the easier it is at one point or another for people that own mining equipment especially when they have a whole bunch of it uh, it is to to mine a Bitcoin. So what happens is that instead of a big, you know, Bitcoins being mined every ten minutes like the protocol uh, uh, dictates, uh, you start getting Bitcoins mined in less and less time. So if that continues, the network senses it, and um, the difficulty rate for mining Bitcoins increases, bringing the uh, the time it takes to mint new bitcoins back up to ten minutes. The more hash power came online, the difficulty after you know it, it adjusted upwards and kept adjusting. Hash power and difficulty just kept going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And then all of a sudden we've we've got a situation where now miners have either burned through quite a bit of their stack of either liquid capital or bitcoin or however it is that they're paying their electric bill and their people. And buying uh, buying new equipment and paying rent and all that kind of stuff, it became unprofitable to mine. So they flip the switch, turn off their miners, hash rate starts plummeting. Like last couple of weeks ago, it was like I don't know, fifty five exahashes, and now it's down somewhere 
below it's below 40 exahashes and that's the power that it takes to to be able to mint the bitcoins uh against the difficulty mark that's been set by the the system so now we've got this this massive decrease in uh, uh in the difficulty so what's going to happen is that the the people that are the miners that are still mining are going to find it much easier to mine bitcoin and this is exactly the way the system was designed to work uh so we're gonna get into um let's see we're going to get into this particular uh, story by Colin, Colin Muller from Crypto Globe. And he's talking about the, uh, the difficulty. And let's, let's see what uh, I want you to hear what he has to say. In line with the trend that started in October, Bitcoin's mining difficulty is projected to drop lower for the third adjustment in a row, showing the sharply dropping hash rate as miners go offline. As of press time, a th- minus thir- or a negative 13% adjustment is expected to occur within 2.9 days for the first time since 2011. <clears throat> Bitcoin's hashing difficulty algorithm, which adjusts on average every two weeks, or 216 blocks, is designed to maintain 10-minute block times. The difficulty dropping is a reflection of hashing power on the network also dropping. It is, <clears throat> it is historically very rare for the Bitcoin difficulty drops because it's rare that the hash rate drops for a sustained period. However, falling prices have forced many miners offline, lowering the hash rate. For example, over the past year, difficulty has fallen during about only 17% of the adjustment events, while overall hash rate increased nearly fourfold during the period from January to October. Why is hash rate and difficulty falling? <clears throat> the fairly straightforward answer to this question is that Bitcoin's price is falling. <laughs> a falling price in Bitcoin means a falling reward for miners when they mine a block. Mining could be, mining could eventually become unprofitable for miners, especially less efficient ones. In that case, firms could either continue mining at a loss if they are able, anticipating higher prices in the future, or close down, an example for which CryptoGlobe recently reported on. When Bitcoin's price recently breaking the six, the key $6,000 support level to as low as 3500 augmenting the pain of an already brutal 10-month decline in crypto asset prices, it is not surprising to see hash rate on the network falling, especially after such a sustained uptrend. Oh, God. Enter Bitcoin Cash. With respect to hash rate difficulty in the price of Bitcoin, the recently introduced elephant in the room is the Bitcoin Cash forking conflict. One of the main characters behind the hard fork, Craig Wright, um, vowed uh, vowed to his erstwhile partner, Roger Ver, to mobilize all the resources necessary to emerge as the dominant side of the split, although the conflict, conflict now seems to have ended in an unceremonious fizzle. Both sides have historically mined Bitcoin as well as Bitcoin Cash, and it is likely that both sides redeployed some of their hash rate to mine their side of the Bitcoin Cash fork. In addition, they could have sold Bitcoin in order to fund their operations, as this is precisely what right threatened to do in a tweet and that that tweet is given but it's not important um and anything craig wright says is not all that important but the juxta or 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 the the filling of the pie of this uh article is whatever the causes the upshot of falling hash hashing difficulty is that pain 
on the Bitcoin mining network will eventually, inevitably be eased. And that's what I was talking about. Um, the system's working as designed. The, the issue is, is that the, the system has, the system had only been seeing increases in price, increases in hashing, and increases in difficulty for uh, months and months. And, and pretty much the mainstream media wasn't really looking at Bitcoin when Bitcoin had a price of like 250 bucks around September of 2015 the end you know the end of the end of summer 2015 um so when the media got in and people started reporting on it it was only all about this upswing the price upswing and then more studious journalists would start talking that knew about hash knew a little bit about hashing versus difficulty would be reporting on all three price hashing and the difficulty but they never really, really, really ever saw a huge downturn in difficulty and hash rate before. So this is causing a whole bunch of stories to be written about the quote unquote Bitcoin mining death spiral, which has never occurred once, even in the face of bigger downturns than we've seen on this one. So take what these guys say with a grain of salt. Um, I have, uh, Colin Muller's article from Crypto Globe in my curated Twitter timeline, which you can link. Uh, I've, I've got a link to in the show notes, so you can go read it for yourself. At least, at least somebody's got you know their head on their shoulders, you know, a little bit about this stuff. So let's let's get back into the deck. And uh, oh, nice nice thread from Beauty on. <clears throat> there are a bunch of academics who believe that if Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> Sorry, let me start that again. There are a bunch of academics who believe that if Bitcoin falls below a certain price, it will not be profitable to mine, and therefore it will collapse. Putting on your conspiracy theory hat, imagine that this line of nonsense was sold to the Jamie Diamonds of the world. We know they hate Bitcoin. We know they have a lot of fiat. In the belief that all they have to do is get Bitcoin down below the point of no return, it doesn't take much imagination to believe that they would hatch a plot to do this by gaming the, time, gaming the tiny number of exchanges. They would enlist an army of traders sworn to secrecy and then pay them to dump at the same time in the belief that if they pull the market down far enough, that the network security model will collapse because miners become unprofitable. They are completely wrong, of course. The advice they are taking is largely from quote-unquote academics and others in the intelligentsia class described by Murray Rothbard. None of these people from and on the spectrum, from Krugman to Rickards, are capable of understanding exactly how Bitcoin works, the blind leading the blind. This is one of Bitcoin's greatest strengths. The outgoing intelligentsia class are computer illiterate and will not ever understand Bitcoin. Paul Krugman will never, for as long as he, as he has left to live, understand Bitcoin. He is too late and can never mount a successful attack. This is why the only attacks they have are worthless psychological operations, public relations, and weaponized law, the latter being actively dismantled by people like Caitlin Long. Bitcoin itself is unassailable and cannot be touched or corrupted by them. It is already too late. Look at Caitlin Long. 
who without a million dollar a year budget and multiple robotic appearances before legislatures appears to be dismantling the toxic narratives of Coin Center and the other crony capitalists. She may just be the most important person in Bitcoin right now. No amount of FUD, which stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt, militarized selling, or tripe can stop Bitcoin. No matter what they try, the garbage articles they write or are repugnant or or I'm sorry, or repugnant anti-American allies they enlist in legislatures, they will never stop it. The world has changed and not going back to business as usual ever. And what he and so uh on if you're not following him, uh I would. Uh he's a really good thinker in the space at B-E-A-U-T-Y-O-N underscore. Uh, er, most of the stuff he writes is really well put together. He, he's he been in the space for, oh, I don't know, forever. Um, and what he says of Caitlin Long, that she might be the most important person in Bitcoin right now, he's not lying. And if you don't know who Caitlin Long is, uh, Google Caitlin Long. Her name is spelled... C-A-I-T-L-I-N-L-O-N-G. Um, she's a she's a veteran of the financial world. And she knows she knows what she's talking about. And she's up there in Wyoming and uh doing some really, really interesting things from the legal side of why uh this thing shouldn't be regulated, why state legislatures should be adopting it. Um, and should be like taking a hands-off attitude towards it. She's done a lot of great work. I, I am assuming her home state is Wyoming. She's been doing a lot of uh, really, really great work up there. And um, yeah, you go check her out. So this, what's the next one up? Oh, yes. Bitcoin exclusive. NASDAQ will list Bitcoin futures from next year. It's happening. This is by Darren Parkin of Coin Rivet, and is uh, actually being uh, reprinted by the Express from a, a newspaper or uh, uh, a journalist outlet from uh, from the UK. So let's read into a little bit about <clears throat> about what uh, Darren says. The cryptocurrency will hit the New York based. New York-based exchanges boards in the early part of next year, subject to the nod of approval by the Community Futures Trading Commission. That move, or the move, will mark a step change in how the decade-old crypto accelerates acceptance and mass adoption throughout the world. Joseph Christenat, vice president of Nasdaq's media team, said, "Quote unquote, Bitcoin futures will be listed." And it should launch in the first half of next year. We're just waiting for the go-ahead from the CFTC. But there's been enough work put into this that make <clears throat> it. There's been enough work put into this to make that academic. We've seen plenty of speculation and rumors about what we might be doing, but no one has thought to come to ask us or come to us and ask if we can confirm it. So here you go. We're doing this, and it's happening. So even in the midst of this brutal downturn and all your friends texting you, telling you how you were stupid and you should have listened to them. Um, and like family members at, at Thanksgiving and upcoming Christmas laughing, pointing at you and laughing, you know, I, I don't know how to take that kind of shit with a grain of salt, but take it with a grain of salt because NASDAQ 
doesn't do stuff like this if they don't have uh nasdaq is not going to do this uh just you know from from a capricious standpoint they have their reasons to do this so like i said even in the even in the midst of this grand winter there's always good news you just got to look for it right and this and it's not just hopium i mean nasdaq is going to list it it's going to happen so there you go and in another one uh this is out of coindesk.com from yogita katri she's one of my favorite journalists in the space um, Ohio accelerators to pump over $100 million into blockchain startups. Two startup accelerators in the, in the United, State, United States state of Ohio are reportedly to invest more than $100 million into blockchain firms. According to a report from Cleveland.com on Monday, Jumpstart, an Ohio-based nonprofit that supports and funds startups, is to invest $100 million in early-stage blockchain firms focused on business or government use cases alongside six other funds in the state. Another business accelerator, Flash Starts, from Ohio's Cleveland City, is reportedly also making $6 million available to enable startups to raise pre-seed funding rounds. The funding plans were revealed at the Blockland Solutions Conference in Cleveland, Ohio, by Jumpstart CEO Ray Leach, the new store, uh, source said. Um, <clears throat> So there you go. I mean, again, even in the midst of all this, the genie's out of the bottle. The genie's never going to go back in the bottle. Nobody can put the genie back in the bottle. The bottle got broke. Okay, the bottle is, the bottle's not there anymore. It's just, it's just not there anymore. So <laughs> there you go. And let's see what's going on. Oh yeah, Paris riots, uh, crypto parody um, at. C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-A-R-A-D-Y. Let me make sure that that's the full full name. Crypto Paradigm. Yep. C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-A-R-A-D-Y-M-E. Find him on Twitter. Uh, Another one of my favorite uh, Twitter guys has uh, tweeted a picture of the Paris riots and all the yellow jackets. In this particular picture, they're over by the Arc de Triomphe. And they're a bunch of yellow jackets, uh, which is what they're calling them because all the drivers that are involved in these riots, they're all mandated. They have to have a yellow jacket in their vehicle so that when they get out of their vehicle, they put on the yellow jacket and it's got reflective on it and that kind of thing. Anyway, it's showing the back of one of several hundred yellow jacket uh, wearing people out here in France, in Paris. And this guy has this has massive black letters buy Bitcoin. All right. So you got France devolving from what I understand, the worst riot since May of 1968 or something. And we all know what happened with the French revolution. When people got pissed off enough, they raided the, uh, the Bastille for the armory and started chopping off people's heads. Will that happen now? I don't know. We're kind of living a little bit more modern of time, but a lot of people been arrested, a whole bunch of people been hurt, and a whole shit ton of property damage has been done. And yet we got this one guy chilling out with buy Bitcoin on the back of his vest. Does that look good for Bitcoin? Oh, I don't know. But what in 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 my view, it actually does look good for Bitcoin, not because it's being associated with the Yellow Jacket riots in Paris. 
but because that there's this lone guy who's like, who, who knows, probably knows more than, than anybody standing around him, why Bitcoin's going to be important to his, his class of people, because this is sort of like a, a yet another ride about rich versus poor. Most of the drivers uh, are barely making ends meet right now. And, and they're talking about this uh, gasoline tax that they want to slap on everybody. <clears throat> and be, because of global warming, it's not a French deal. This is out of Brussels. So Brussels is telling Fr- all the people in France what they're going to pay on gas come I think it's supposed to happen in January, uh, January one. And apparently it's a pretty brutal tax. Uh, it's so brutal that it's causing a lot of people to do what they're doing in France. And yet at least one person knows that if everybody just bought some Bitcoin, especially now at these super low prices, you can just get this shit on sale right now, man. Um, he knows that, that, uh, at least that money would not be able to be taken away from them. I mean, it's up to them as to whether or not they give it to somebody, but nobody can come in and say, we're going to inflate your currency to crap, or we're going to do this, we're going to do that. No, you really can't. This, you know, price drop being what, what it is, is not being driven by Jamie Dimon and his, and his crew of, of miscreants buying and selling this stuff. Um, it's, that's not it. That's not it. This is just general sentiment of the people who know and, you know, and, and several other factors. You're coming to the end of the year. People need cash. You know, I mean, it's this happens like this happens all the time. People need cash at the end of the year. So anyway, we got at least one guy in France and the French riots that knows what the hell's going on. Uh, last thing is uh, this little thread from Lawrence Digital at Digital Lawrence. The year was 1939, and the world was crumbling as World War II unfolded. Confidence in world markets was gone, and most wondered if it would ever return. One man invested his life savings of $10,000 into every stock on the New York Stock Exchange that was under $1 a share. Billionaire Sir John Templeton. (laughs) According to Templeton, he called his broker the day World War II began and instructed him to purchase every stock trading at less than a dollar. Templeton attributed much of his success to his ability to maintain an elevated mood, avoid anxiety, and stay disciplined. Uninterested in consumerism, he drove his own car, never flew first class, and lived year-round in the Bahamas. Templeton became known for his avoiding the herd and buy when there's blood in the streets philosophy. He also was known for taking profits when values and expectations were high. He took the strategy of buy low, sell high to an extreme, picking nations, industries, and companies, hitting rock bottom, what he called points of maximum pessimism. When war began in Europe in 1939, he borrowed money to buy 100 shares each in 104 companies selling at $1 per share or less, including 34 companies that were in bankruptcy. Only four turned out to be worthless and he turned large profits on the other. Wow, that's a that's a neat story. Um, that's that, uh, I like that, the part where he was, uh, where was it? Yeah, here it is. Templeton attributed much of his success to his ability to maintain an elevated mood, avoid anxiety, and stay disciplined. 
And the fact that he was not really interested in consumerism, he didn't have a chauffeur, you know, he, he didn't do any of the things that billionaires do. Um, and I, you know, and it, 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 it just, I don't know that, that attitude that, you know, being able to have a, a good mood in the face of dismal crap, you know, trying to get away from anxiety, which can cause you to do things like panic sell, right? I mean, if like, if you got to sell in this market, do it because you absolutely have to, not because you just want to, or, or what, I mean, if you don't need to sell, I wouldn't, it's only the people that if you got, you know, if you're not going to be able to make rent, if you're not going to be able to put food on your table, that's when it's time, you know, it may be time to pull the trigger unless you're going to lose money out of the deal. But again, you know, none of this is investment advice. It's just that it's sort of like common, you know, it's common sense. Um, sell only if you have to. And if you don't have to, screw it. Just like stop looking at the stuff and come back, you know, a year later and see what see what's going on then. Because a year, you know, a year or, or two in this space can be like a hundred in any other spaces. So that's, uh, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Let's get into vital statistics. Okay, Vital Statistics has Bitcoin's average price at 3,900 with a high of 3,996 over at H, uh, hit BTC and a low of $3,812 over at Kraken. Uh, transactions are stable. It's still about a quarter of a million transactions in the last 24 hours. Uh, One million Bitcoin have been sent in the last 24 hours for about $4.1 billion worth of, uh, worth of value. Average transaction value is 4.5 BTC and median transaction value is low at 0.033 BTC representing $127. Block time is still high despite the fact that we've had a massive uh, difficulty adjustment. So we'll, we'll have to see what the heartbeat on this is. But right now it's at uh, 12 minutes and 6 seconds. 118 blocks over the last 24 hours and five blocks per hour on average. Uh, Bcash is kind of riding in the same boat a little bit. 11 minutes and 30 or 26 seconds per block with 123 blocks minted over the last 24 hours and an average block uh, per hour of five. So it looks like they're getting hit too. Um, Reward per block, 0.23 BTC have been taken in fees. Um, and 15 or 1,475 BTC have been minted in the last 24 hours with 28 Bitcoins being taken in fees in total. Hash rate, as we've talked about before, is at 37.8 exahashes and had a hash rate uh, decrease in the last 24 hours of 5.28%. Uh, one of the other notable things that happened today was that the uh, Reddit subscribers in... Um, the Bitcoin subreddit uh, topped over 1 million as opposed to 38,000 for r slash BTC, which is the Bcash um, side of, of that whole thing. Uh, GitHub last commit was a couple of days ago, the 1st of December. Uh, GitHub last commit for Bcash is still sitting at the uh, 20th of November. 
across the board, Bcash is at uh, 172, Litecoin is at 30, Ethereum Classic is at $4.75, Bitcoin Gold is at 17, and Dogecoin is holding its own at 0.0022, sort of like where it was. Uh, transactions over the last 24 hours for Bcash is, God, 6,000. That's really dismal, man. <clears throat> Ethereum Classic has 52,000, and Dogecoin, which is a meme coin, or rather a joke coin, as it was created, even they have, you know, close to 30,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, and Bcash sitting here at 6,000. So, anyway, that's going to do it for your vital statistics for today. Your Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Trevon James at Bitcoin Tray. Ten years from now, it won't matter if you bought Bitcoin at 4000 or 3000 because it will be at zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trayvon James. Okay, for those of you, for for anybody who's new and doesn't know the story of Trayvon James and some of the other uh, world famous shit coiners, and man, these guys are world famous shit coiners. There was a project called BitConnect uh, that got really huge uh, alongside of every all the other shit coins. This one had something to do with being able to loan out your BitConnect tokens or, or, or some, some such weird, weird shit. Um, it was a Ponzi. I mean, and, and so why isn't Bitcoin a Ponzi? Because no, nobody's claiming the original million dollars or million uh, Bitcoins. Those coins haven't ever moved. If they were taken to an exchange and then sold and it bottomed out the price, that's when you can say that Bitcoin was a Ponzi scheme, but that's never happened. And I don't know about you, but I I, I am unaware, even this, this Sir Lord Templeton or billionaire guy that we were just talking about, Sir John, Sir John Templeton, even he's going to take profit. You know why? Because he, you know, he was alive. <laughs> He was alive to take profit. He was monitoring the situation of prices. Shit that he had bought, um, you know, went up. And he sold for he sold for profit. Uh, it, if Bitcoin was a true Ponzi scheme, the team or the person, the man, the woman that whatever it was that is was Satoshi Nakamoto would move those coins, crash the market, and walk away laughing their ass off with everybody's money. I don't know somebody who can do that for ten years. Especially after it, once it hit 20,000 20, bucks a coin. That's when I, you know, if anything was going to happen, I figured it would happen around there, but those coins have still not moved. All right. So in, in either event, uh, Trayvon James uh, was one of the people that was promoting BitConnect on his YouTube channel, which ended up getting million, I don't know how many subscribers he ended up with before the whole damn thing went, went to hell. Uh, but he lost everything. He's getting sued. Now he's pissed, and he decides that he wants to come back and be a personality in the Bitcoin space again. Even though he was a serial, he he scammed people into buying Bit BitConnect, and that shit did go to zero. And he 
did was able to buy cars and I think a house out of it. So, I mean, the only Ponzi about the, uh, you know, in this space is people like Bitcoin Trey. So I hope he goes to jail. I really do. Um, but he's seems to be back. So it'll be funny seeing, uh, the new, like people come back with the old bit connect memes and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's your, uh, your daily train wreck for today. Your terrible joke corner today is brought to you by science. What do you do with a dead chemist? You bury him. Get it? Bury him? It's science. So, yeah, it's... Okay, I just nerded out. That's fine. We'll see you next time on Terrible Joke Corner. I'm out. I'm going to do the editing and get this thing over to my upload station and get it out for you guys. Uh, I know it's a shitty day for a lot of people. It's, it is, it's okay. Try to try to keep in mind about that, that dude, Sir John Templeton. And you know, that, the, the whole that whole thing of, of the ability to maintain an elevated mood, avoid anxiety and stay disciplined. Keep thinking that, that those thoughts throughout this, if you can, if at all possible, do things that help you get into a good mood, do avoid situations that cause any kind of anxiety. And like you said, stay disciplined, you know, Discipline is is hard. It it really is hard. Um, for instance, this this podcast gets maybe I don't know seventeen, twenty listens to every time I put one out, and and that's I mean I I thought that was kind of cool. I I was I thought I was going to be staring square at one play, you know, especially when I first began this thing, uh, maybe two plays. Um, I didn't expect to get, you know, 20, but if I compare it to what, you know, podcasts that are, you know, doing really, really, really well, then I would be disappointed. And then on top of that, I'm going into, you know, I'm going into my first crypto winter. This is the first time I've ever experienced this y'all. You know, other people have, have, uh, they're, they're stating that they've done it three or four times. This is my first time because when I bought my first Bitcoin, it was September. It was actually, I was looking back. I bought my first Bitcoin September the 11th, 2015 for 240 bucks. That's how low it was, people. And now I've gone through the elation of climbing Mount Everest to 20,000 and and was able to to be disciplined and not sell because you never know what the hell was going to happen. Although we all knew it was going to be a blow off top, but I didn't want to sell. I just, I wanted my address space on the largest computer in the world. That was actually more important to me than the cash value. So, you know, I'm, so I'm still doing, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still going to, uh, try to find news stories and, and, and I'm 
still working on um, figuring out a way to do to fulfill the original promise of this podcast by getting you know more into gaming. But the very first person out of the bag that told me that they would love to do an interview uh, totally flaked, totally flaked out on me. So I got a, I've, I've got another person in mind. And uh, I'm going to give him a drop him an email sometime today and see if he would if he would like to do it. He's not essentially in the gamer thing insofar as um, he doesn't he's not a person that designs video games, but he is like a you know, has been a either a CEO, chief operating officer, a chief technology officer. He served at, at C-level, uh, C-level stuff in a bunch of different companies uh, that have things to do with making movies, making video games, uh, that kind of thing. So um, I've got a pretty good I've, – I've known him for years, so I've got a pretty good relationship with him. And I think that would be an interesting interview to see what see what he thinks. So I'm going to try to set that up for you all. Anyway, uh, just don't just – don't get discouraged if you can. Uh, remain disciplined um, even, even through this – what you know the winter to come um is probably gonna suck just you know hold on tight y'all anyway we'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day